How many of you know the song California Dreamin'? Wade, really? Wow, okay, okay. Yeah, this was a, a song in the, in the 1960s, all right, so you guys can't make fun of me as before I was born too, okay? Um, it's by the band called the Mamas and the Papas. Anybody? California Dreamin' on such a winter's day, right? Thank you, thank, thank you. Okay, I, th- I, s- I see Richard smiling. All the leaves are brown, right? The sky is gray. Okay. Yeah, that's a good song, right? Have you guys ever been in the middle of a cool dream and you kind of wake up and you try to go back to sleep so that you can continue the cool dream? Is that just me? I've been in some cool dreams, like I'm a superhero and I wake up because something wakes me up. I'm like, no, 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 no. And I try to just, I stay in the same position and try to fall back asleep to continue that dream. Anybody? Okay, thank you, thank you, Richard again. All right, thank you. Have you ever had a bad dream and then you're glad you woke up? Yeah, I've been there many times. It's usually like some major life event, right? Like um, a couple times, like my car gets stolen or something, right? And then I wake up and I think, oh, it was, it was, it was just a dream. And it's like you get, to, you get to press that reset button, right? Anybody have those types of dreams? Yeah, we, we have those, right? We, we don't remember most of our dreams, perhaps thankfully. Um, they get kind of weird, don't they? Uh, in our passage today, we're going to talk about a really weird dream. Okay? But before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of all. Uh, whether awake or sleeping, and how you choose to reveal yourself to us. I pray that in our insecurities, uh, in our lives, we would seek you, we would seek rest in you, we would seek our peace in you and your son, knowing that we are your children, adopted into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, we're in the second chapter of the book of Daniel today, but I want to give a a quick recap of the first chapter of Daniel. And I showed this graphic last time. Uh, Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, uh, he conquers the southern kingdom of Judah, the the southern kingdom. I I outlined it in green. And then as part of the retraining, re-education program, the Babylonians take the best and brightest of Israel and make them learn new things, right? New, New language, new culture, new customs, even eat new food. And if you remember, Daniel, Daniel challenges the food portion, and in the end, they're all on vegetables and waters because they are healthier. And the conclusion of the message is that we should always eat our vegetables, right? That's, that's what I'm going to tell my son. But actually, the, the, real mes- the real message is that Christians, we Christians are called to be citizens of two worlds, the secular world that we physically live in and the spiritual kingdom that we are part of those two worlds and we need to retain our identities as christians in a time where i think it's really easy to blend in with the rest of the world and that we are not to conform to the pattern of the world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds in jesus christ all right so that happened so let's start in chapter two now chapter two is very long and i don't want us to get lost in the details but the main gist is that king nebuchadnezzar has a dream i'll give you a spoiler alert he has a dream, and Daniel interprets it uh, through God's help, with God's help, okay? That, that's, that's chapter two. The king has a dream, Daniel interprets it, okay? All right, let's, let's begin. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. 
So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. All right, so um, I outlined it in green. Uh, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers is a mouthful, so I'm going to refer to them as the wizards from now on, okay? All right, so then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. I read this and I'm like, wow, that escalated quickly, didn't it? If you can't do this for me, you'll be cut into pieces and your houses will be tiny little rubble. If you can do this for me, then gifts and rewards and great honor await you. So what will it be? Little pieces or gifts and rewards? <laughs> Little pieces or gifts and rewards? Your move, wizards. You know how we may have a bad dream and we wake up and we thankfully we don't remember most of it? All right, and I think that's one possible scenario here. He had a really bad dream. He forgot some of the details. Maybe he's embarrassed that he forgot. And, so he, and he says, actually, no, no, you, you tell me my dreams. Aren't you the wizards? He's looking for evidence that his dreams are, are truly from the gods and not some random humans like grasping at, at their meaning. So if these wizards can tell him his dream, then okay, the message is probably genuine and can be trusted. But the response is reasonable, right? Tell us your dream and we will interpret it. See, back then, the way they did dream interpretation is that um, they had these catalogs of books or scrolls, right? They were basically indexes, right? If you had this dream, then that is what it means. They were just going to consult their books, right? So uh, you dreamed about the sun? Oh, okay, well, it, it, it means this. This is your interpretation. Oh, oh, you dreamed about some, some fields? Okay, well, okay, well, this is what it means, right? They didn't know it, but they were compiling their little own search engine back then, right? They were just going to Google his dream, basically, right? So they're probably pretty nervous right now, right? No search terms, right? So once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king answered, I'm certain that you're trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You've conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Okay, you guys are just stalling right now, and I'm on to you, right? I am certain you are trying to gain time. Yeah, you guys are stalling. See, you know, the wizards are still humans, right? They still need data. They still need search terms. They need something to work with, right? The king hasn't provided anything. We got nothing to work with here. What is your dream? Just tell us. What are we supposed to type in the search bar, basically, right? We have nothing to consult our scrolls with. King Nebuchadnezzar was a paranoid king. He's very insecure, always on the lookout, always looking over his shoulder for someone who might try to seize the throne, kill him. He was very distrustful, insecure. So he's probably afraid that the wizards might try to tell him something wrong on purpose to lead to his downfall. A lot of dream interpretation would lead to hard, concrete decision-making in the real world. 
most of us today, and we talked about the dreams um, uh, earlier uh, when I began this message, we don't take concrete action on our dreams, right? We wake up and we think to ourselves, huh, that dream was interesting. Okay, and we, we go about our day. But back then, it might mean the difference between invading another country or not, based on a dream. So dream interpretation was very serious business. And so because of that, you have to make sure you get it right. You can't be invading the wrong country, right? So King Nebuchadnezzar's method of making sure it was right this time was to make sure the wizards could tell him his own dream. And if they couldn't, he reasoned that they were fake, which we, we know they're fake anyway, okay? And so he'll cut them into little pieces. You wizards are a scam profession, he's probably thinking. The astrologers told, answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult, it's too hard. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among the humans. See, now it's, now it's desperate. Now they're desperate. This type of request has never happened before in the history of wizardry, right? In the, in, in the history of dream interpretation. No one can do what you're asking, king. In effect, they were saying to Nebuchadnezzar, you're asking us to tell you what only God alone can tell you, and we are men, not God. How do you think he responds to that? Like, oh, okay, my bad. Never mind then. No. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree, the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Note that Daniel is somehow able to extend the time, whereas the wizards could not get an extension, right? Oh, sorry, I got it. Uh, verse 17, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then God praised the God of heaven and said, notice uh, before we go on, Daniel prays and then he praises, right? He prays and then he praises. All right, we'll, we'll double back to that later. He says, Praise be to the God, of, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you, and you have made to us, you have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went back to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, 
Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you, lie, as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Daniel is not trying to take credit for, for all this, as to say, look what I was able to do that your wizards were not able to. I'm so awesome. Daniel is saying, I know these things not because I'm better or smarter or wiser, but because God wants you to know what is going to happen. God, my God, the only God, knows what's up. He gave you the dream. He's revealing it to you. Not your all, not your all little Babylonian gods who don't really exist. So listen up, King Nebuchadnezzar. Here's your dream. Your majesty looked, and there before, you, uh, there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue of the feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, so the dream is colorful statue destroyed by a rock, right? Colorful statue destroyed by a rock. But what does it mean? Verse 36, this was the dream. And now we interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heavens has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. He's probably feeling pretty good right now. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes are partly clay, iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut of the mountain, not by human hands, a rock that broke, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown, we're almost done. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. 
Then King Nebuchadnezzar felt prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor in order that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Last slide for this part portion. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. This is a crazy story. Let me recap. Nebuchadnezzar has a troubling dream. And he says, so all you wizards tell me what the dream was and what it means. And the wizards say, no, we can't do that. That's too hard. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, put all wise men to death. And Daniel says, hold up, let me pray. And God says, okay, I got you, fam. Here you go, (laughs) right? Here's the dream, and here's what it means. Daniel says, thank you, praise God. And Daniel goes to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you have a large statue made of different materials. A rock cuts out, rock is cut out, destroys the statue, and it fills the whole earth. And it means different kingdoms come and go, but the final one will be forever. And then Nebuchadnezzar responds, God is great. Also, you and your friends are promoted to high places. You're welcome. Crazy story, right? You know, King Nebuchadnezzar, I was, I was trying to get through into his mind. I mean, he had it all, right? This king, he had it all. He had everything a person could dream of having. He had power, he had influence, he was famous, he was rich. I mean, he was middle of creating an empire that would memorialize him forever. These are the seven wonders of the ancient world. His is one of them. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, you can read the others up there. Uh, the, only ones currently, the only one currently still standing is the Great Pyramid of Giza. That's impressive. He has all the fame and riches and power and accomplishments. So why does a simple dream of a colorful statue being destroyed by a rock make him so anxious, make him so nervous? And it's because all his standing, all his accomplishments were not enough for him. It was like chasing after a mirage in the desert. You're always chasing, right? And you're never getting there. King Nebuchadnezzar lived exclusively for this world. So his ambitions always moved with the ebb and flow of this world. Kind of like us sometimes. King Nebuchadnezzar was insecure. Pastor Mike preached on this before, Mark 4, 19. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the world, the word, the word of God, making it unfruitful. I outline in green there, worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things. King Nebuchadnezzar fell into this trap. The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of money, like the, probably the lie that money can buy you happiness, the materialism, these things destroy our peace. At least it does to me, and I'm guessing you as well. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if we are among the haves or the have-nots. It doesn't matter if you're a student or an adult or a parent. We're always worrying about something, right? Those of us who have plenty, and I'm going to say this, those of us who have plenty, who are probably most of this, most of this in this room or watching online, 
are anxious because we want to guarantee that there will always be plenty and or have plenty for our kids, right? I do. We want to make sure that our kids are provided for. And those of us who don't have plenty, we are anxious until we do have plenty. That's understandable. So it never ends. John D. Rockefeller was an American businessman, and uh, he was a philanthropist. And if you don't know who he is, you can search him up later. But he is widely considered uh, the, richest Ameri- the wealthiest American of all time and the richest person in modern history, uh, adjusted for inflation. I would say he probably had plenty. He was once asked, how much money is enough money? And he replied, just a little bit more. We humans are restless until we find our rest in God. We humans are restless until we find our rest in God. So long as we seek security and rest in possessions or power or grades or school or friends or relationships or fame or riches or whatever, if we seek security in those things, we can never be content. There is always more. We will always want just a little bit more. It happens when we scroll through social media, right? Just a little bit more. Just one more swipe. Just one more silly dance on TikTok. Just one more article. Just one more, just one more post. Just one more episode to watch. Just one more video. Just, just one more game. Am I wrong? So Nebuchadnezzar, like many of us, he had everything, except the one thing he needed most, peace. So all of his hostile reactions are a result of his insecurity. And I don't think we all, we probably don't react the way he does. He wasn't at peace with the world because he wasn't at peace in himself. And he can't be at peace with or ultimately trust others, even his closest advisors, the wizards. You can see that, remember? They ask what his dream was, so that they can interpret it. That's reasonable. And he immediately gives them a death threat. Do it or else. And you know what? I was thinking about, man, he, know, he knows he's asking the impossible. He knows he's asking the impossible. No human could tell him both his dreams and their interpretation. So when the wizards casually remind him, hey, we're humans, we're not gods, he becomes like this rage monster. And he said, okay, that's, okay, that's it, that's it. Everybody dies. That's his response. His inner conflict is the conflict of everyone, including us. It's easy to judge King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, when I don't get what I want, I don't try to kill all my friends. Well, that's okay. But I think he's us. We don't, yeah, we might not threaten to kill off hundreds of wizards, but his insecurities are our insecurities. If we're, honor, if we're honest with ourselves, we want to be God. We want to be in control of everything. That brings us security. We don't have to trust or rely on anyone else but ourselves and our power and our possessions and our accomplishments and our career and so forth. Sometimes we aren't prepared to allow God to be God in our lives. We want to be Lord in our lives. I have. In John 14, 27, Jesus is talking here. Peace I, live, peace I leave with you my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. We need a peace that only Jesus gives. 
We humans are restless until we find our rest, our peace in God. And it's a different kind of peace. We get temporary peace when you know, we have our belongings and our things. I want to switch to the dream. So the dream is a statue made of all different materials, right? Iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold. And a big rock comes and destroys it. That's the whole dream. This colorful statue destroyed by a rock, right? Colorful statue destroyed by a rock. Honestly, that describes every activity with my son. We build a nice little tower with colorful magnetic tiles, and then he loves to destroy them. It all comes crashing down. And you know what? And then he just makes me rebuild it so he can do it again. It's, it's awesome, right? So here's a picture I pulled from the internet representing this dream. I'm not going to go through this. But a lot of ink has been spilled on which materials represent which kingdoms. I don't want to get in too deeply because I think we missed the point if we spent too much arguing over who, who the empires were. The point is that there are many empires and they all eventually give way to the kingdom of God, which eventually fills the whole earth. The kingdoms and the countries that we humans build, right, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennia after millennia, will all eventually give, away, give way to the kingdom of God, a kingdom that lasts. That's, that's what we need to take away from this dream. We may feel secure right now, but the United States is a young country. We've only been around for 250 years. The Romans lasted over 2,000 years, almost nine times as long. The maps you see up there are to approximate scale. The width of the Mediterranean Sea is roughly the width of the, the continental uh, 48. It doesn't matter, though, how long the United States lasts or any other country or kingdom. It will all eventually give way to the kingdom of God. Build what you want, King, Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar. It makes no difference. God's kingdom is the everlasting one. So Daniel and the rest of the Israelites are given hope and confidence, like in the dark days that are probably still to come, right? That no matter how bad things might look in the short term, God wins in the long term. And I think that can be a message for us today, that no matter how bad things may look in the short term, God wins in the long term. Maybe current events are making us nervous or anxious or without peace. Our country is, is fractured, as I'm sure you guys know. There's a war in Europe. There's, there's talk about using nuclear weapons. We hopefully just finished a global pandemic. There are political issues, whatever. But we can take comfort knowing that God's kingdom lasts forever. Maybe the United States falls one day and, and another nation takes its place. Who knows? But if that happens, it's okay. We can take comfort knowing that God's kingdom lasts forever. We can have peace. God is sovereign. God is supreme in human history. He's in control no matter where we are in this timeline, even if it doesn't look like it. You know, it didn't, even, it didn't look like it to the Israelites. In the previous chapter, do you remember what happened? They got conquered. They got taken to captivity. They were forced to new learn things, new education. It looked pretty bleak to them, right? In today's passage, Daniel and his friends were all about to be executed, also pretty bleak. I wonder what's going to happen in chapter 3, don't you? Spoiler alert, more bleakness. We'll get through that next time. So when the world is going crazy, I think we can learn from Daniel to pray, praise, and point. To pray, praise, and point. The first thing Daniel did was to consult God, to pray to him. As we go through Daniel, and there's a lot more chapters, uh, Daniel's most prominent characteristic is, is prayer, prayerfulness. If you were to describe Daniel in one word, it, it's prayerfulness. 
Too often we try to do things in our own strength, our own abilities, our own gifts. And prayer is something I urge all of us to do more often. When we stop praying, we stop leaning on God. And that's when we think to ourselves. When we stop praying, we, we start thinking to ourselves, I will lean on my own strength. I will do things myself. I don't need God. Unless maybe I am in trouble and need something, then I'll go to him. But otherwise, I'm, I'm good. That's what happens when we stop praying, when we stop leaning on God. So I urge all of us to pray to God more. First thing I, I ask when, when uh, youth kids come to me on some issues, like, have, have you prayed about it? Because God, God's message will trump my human wisdom any day of the week. The second thing, God, um, the second thing uh, Daniel did was to praise God. This is something we tried to do on Wednesday night prayer meeting. Um, is it, to go around in rounds and just praise God. And this is, um, we forget to praise God during the normal course of our lives, right? When we do pray, we're, we're really good about asking God for things. But praising God, my wife is really good about prompting this. She is constantly praising God. And I've learned from her in my marriage. Uh, finally, Daniel gave credit to God. He pointed to God. We think of big things when we point to God, like, oh, praise God, this, this, this big things happen. But really in the small things too, and I've, I've learned that, to have that mindset, this wasn't me, this was God. Daniel was always pointing to God. And before da Nebuchadnezzar could get a word edgewise and say, wow, you're amazing, you, you interpreted this dream for me. He's like, no, 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 this was not me. God, this is all God's doing. I'm, I'm just a messenger. I was a lucky guy who happened to deliver this to you. This could be anybody. In our accomplishments, in our career, in our grades, in our schooling, pray to, to, to point to God. This is, this is you, God. This was all you. Do we point to God and give him credit? I think most of us are probably not as consistent as we'd like to be in all three of these, praying, praising, and pointing. So I urge all of us to take away, to, to pray more, to praise more, and to point more to God. I do like this song. Here's a verse from the song in the beginning. Stopped into a church. I passed along the way. Okay, I, I'm not going to bore Richard again. Uh, I passed along the way. Well, I got down on my knees, and I pretend to pray. And I pretend to pray. And that basically describes King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember what he said? Okay, he said a lot. I'm like, I'm going to kill all you wizards and everything, but... I pretend to pray. Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a reveal of mystery. For you were mysteries, uh, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. I've highlighted in green there. But we will see in the coming chapters that this sentiment is short lived. He can praise God all he wants but it turns out it's not genuine. It's not long-lasting. It's pretend. After all this, I, I was trying to get into his mind. I'm like, after all this, the weird dreams, the threatening to kill all the wizards, and Daniel and his friends pulling through, and this confession, this amazing confession of who is the true almighty God. Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings. After all this, it ultimately ends up just being pretend. Pretend.
So I ask all of us today to think about where we are in our faith journey. Is God the God of gods and the Lord of kings in our lives to you? Or are we just pretending? Do we come into this building, do the church thing, do the Christian thing, see all our friends, laugh and smile with each other, have a light lunch, and then leave? Do we praise God every Sunday, like King Nebuchadnezzar does here, but then it has no effect on our lives the other six days of the week? Or is God the God of our lives where we seek our peace in Him through prayer, through praising, through pointing to God? Surely, God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Surely. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we are sinners and the just punishment that is eternal separation from you because you cannot stand to be in the presence of sin. You are that holy, you are that set apart. But that you sent your son to die for us on that cross to be that sin offering, Father. That sin offering that only your son, the unblemished lamb of God, could be to take away the sins of the world. That whoever believes in him shall not perish in eternal torment, but be received into the eternal kingdom of heaven to you. We have a lot of distractions here on earth, Father. Entertainment, technology, our own lives. I pray that you send the Spirit to write our hearts so that we seek you above all else in comfort and peace. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.